glad to see you all here today. Thank you, Corb, and all of the worship leaders. That uh, is an amazing setup to what God has for us in his word today. Pastor Doug mentioned Christianity Explored, and I've been a part of Christianity Explored for the last two or three years, uh, bringing people uh, to it and uh, now joining with Joel and teaching it myself. The beginning of Christianity Explored always asks a question. What is the most beautiful place you've ever visited in the world? Now, I've been to some very beautiful places, and so it's always difficult for me to try and think of how I want to answer that question. But every time, I keep coming back to Peto Lake. Have any of you ever been to Peto Lake? It's in the north part of Banff, the Canadian Rockies. Before I went to the Canadian Rockies some 10 years ago, someone told me they're even more beautiful than the American Rockies. And being one who bleeds red, white, and blue, I found that hard to believe until I got there. And they really, truly are beautiful. Peto Lake is exceptionally beautiful. This is not photoshopped. That is the actual color of the lake. And what gives it its color is the flower, the F-L-O-U-R, flower of the glacier runoff into that lake. And as you notice, it's also in the shape of a bear. And so uh, some people have said, and I know we in Michigan are so proud of our Torch Lake and all of the great lakes that surround us, but some have said that this may be the most beautiful lake in the world. And if it's not, I think it gives, it, gives all the other lakes a run for their money. I wish that I could have spent more time here. As it was, we were going in one day from the top of Jasper National Park all the way through to Banff and through Banff uh, National Park as well. So we were only able to stop for a short period of time at each one of those places. But one of my dreams is someday to go back here and spend as, as long as possible just looking at God's beautiful creation. And that's what I want us to think about this morning as well. Maybe you can think of a place right now in your mind, the most beautiful place that you've ever been, and how awe-inspiring that was. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 19, which can be summed up for us in these few words. God speaks loudly and clearly to us, so we can respond humbly to him. Let me say that one more time. God speaks loudly and clearly to us so we can respond humbly to him. Let's look at Psalm 19 this morning, which says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit is to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let not them have dominion over me. Then I, sh then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's look at these verses this morning, beginning with this, under, this concept, God speaks loudly to us. He begins, David, who wrote this some 3,000 years ago, King David, you remember the second king of the nation of Israel, wrote many of the Psalms, and this one is actually a, a condensed version of Psalm 119, which was read by Michael for us this morning, a portion of it anyway. And in Psalm 19, this condensed version, he begins by talking about the first book that God has given to us. Do you know that God has given to us two books? We know of this book. We call this the Bible. It's God's special revelation, and we're going to look at that in verses 7 and following. But God, before he gave us the Bible, he gave us another book. It's called Creation. And this book has only three pages. The heavens above the earth below and the seas. And the author begins with the heavens above, and that's where he spends his time talking about the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. During the French Revolutionary War, one of those French guys whose name I can't pronounce said to a peasant, I will have all of your steeples pulled down so that you will have nothing to remind you of your superstitious faith. To which the wise peasant replied, Oh, sir, you may take down our steeples, but you cannot take down the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God. I've been told that the, in the Harry Potter series, there's something called a visibility cloak. I don't know anything about that, but I do know that creation is God's visibility cloak making visible for us his invisible qualities, his invisible attributes. And what are they? The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 7, or 19 and 20 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world so that the things that have been made in the creation of the world so that they are without excuse. The heavens declare the glory of God, his eternal power and his divine nature. You can't help but looking at God's creation 
and seeing that there must have been some source, some author, someone who started all this off and created it for us. Today we have two things that David didn't have at his disposal. I can only imagine what the Psalms would have been like had David known what a microscope was and what a telescope was. Can you imagine? Microscopes take us down into the itty-bittiness of God's creation. We can see the minute detail with which God has created all of us. And then the telescope takes us out into the heavens and we are discovering new planets, new galaxies all the time. And, and we know that this universe is ever expanding, getting larger and larger. And yet, all of it is held in the hand of God. God is truly an awesome God. Now, the psalmist, David, he goes on and he says, day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. There is nowhere that you can get to escape from this ongoing sermon from God. Have you ever listened to a preacher that you thought would never end? How many of you were watching the Michigan-Notre Dame game last night and saw the weatherman talking on and on and on and on? All you have to do is go to Facebook to the WLIX comment section and see all the people who were irritated at the fact he was going on and on and on and on. And I too was getting irritated and my wife kindly reminded me that, Tim, you are going to have to be the subject of your own sermon illustration if you don't get yourself under control. But none of us like to hear, listen to someone who just seemingly can't find the landing strip and bring this thing to a conclusion and get on with whatever else we're interested in for that day, especially last night, that Michigan-Notre Dame game. God, however, never finishes speaking. There is nowhere that you can go that God is not speaking to you through his visibility cloak called creation. And the text also talks to us about how the, he is in his heavens, the sun, moon, and stars that he has set as a tent, the sun comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. How does a bridegroom leave his chamber? I'm sure with much joy. Like a strong man runs his course. How does a strong man run his course? Just watch the Olympics, see those guys run. It looks like they are doing it effortlessly. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit is to the end of them. It's constant, never stopping, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The heat of the sun, which we have experienced this summer, and we will wonder what happened to it come January, still permeates every area, every square inch of this earth. And all of that speaks to God, our awesome God. Now, as our esteemed theologian, resident theologian, Pastor Doug Phillips pointed out to me last week as I was talking to him about this message, as great and awesome as creation is, it indeed is smudged. It has been smudged by the curse our, caused by our sin. And as we look at the creation, the creators, the, the creatures, that is us, suppress the truth about God, 
I quoted from Romans 1 earlier. You keep reading it. You can see how the truth of creation and the creator God is suppressed by man. And so what has God done for us? He has given to us his word. And, and let's look at how King David just builds one line upon another about the greatness of God's word. He begins by saying, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That word perfect means complete. And when King David wrote this, I don't presume that he was imagining that he was writing scripture for himself. And all that David had of God's word was right here, this one section. The first five books of the Bible we call the Pentateuch. And yet now we have been blessed with all 66 books of the Bible. And if King David at the time he wrote this psalm could say, the law of the Lord, the word of God is complete, lacking nothing. How much more do we have to say about the complete word of God? And what does the word of God do? What is the first thing that it accomplishes? It accomplishes what we all need the most, our souls to be revived. You see, we are born into this world, spiritually dead, separated from God, rebels against him, as the song we sang uh, this morning pointed out. What do we need? We need our souls to be made alive. We need to be revived. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And he goes on the first three verses describing what that deadness looks like. And then he comes to the two greatest words I believe in the Bible in Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And how do we find out about that grace? We cannot see it in creation. But creation points us to the fact that there is a great God. And now we come to his word and we see that he sent us his son who lived the life we could not live, died in our place, rose again from the dead and offers us hope of peace with God and being welcomed into his family. And all this happens when our souls are re revived, when we are made alive with Christ. That's the first thing that the, the Bible accomplishes for us. He goes on and he says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. What is a testimony? It's an eyewitness account of something that happened. God has recorded for us. He is the only one that has been there since the very beginning. He is the only true and accurate reporter. And so the testimony of the Lord is sure. In a day and age that we live where so much is relative, and we're, we're told what's true for you may not be true for someone else, or things like we have our own set of facts. All of this puts us in uncertain terms. Where can we turn for truth? This is the only place we can turn to for truth. It is God's word given to us. And what does it do? It makes simple people wise. All of us have to admit that we are simple, especially in comparison to God. Just look at some of the uh, people who are smarter than you and then magnify that a bazillion times. And that's us compared with God. And what does he do? He, first of all, he revives our soul. He makes us alive. And then he makes us into disciples. He instructs us in the way that we should go. He makes us wise. 
Then he goes on. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. Notice this sequence. Our souls are converted. We're made alive. We're made into disciples of Jesus Christ. The simple becoming wise. And the next thing that happens is that our hearts can rejoice. We all are looking for joy. Everyone in the world today is looking for something to make them happy. And people are looking for it in all the wrong places. They want shortcuts. And so they try to find it in sex, drugs, alcohol, escapes like sports, what you can watch on TV, go to the movies, camping, any number of these things. All of them, well, in their proper place, are good and acceptable and given to us by God. And yet, the only place you can find joy is from God himself. And how he reveals himself to us in his word. There are no shortcuts to joy. It comes by first submitting ourselves to God. Giving up our rebellion against him and being made alive, brought into his family. And then becoming his disciple, following hard after him. Whatever God says yes to, that's what I want to say yes to. Whatever God says no to, that's what I want to say no to. And as a result of this, God brings joy into our lives. A joy that is beyond description. He goes on. As if not more could be said, he has more to say. The commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It's hard for us to visualize this now. I suppose those of you who grew up in Michigan or the north can visualize this. But after this long, hot summer, it's hard to remember snow is coming. And on those days when you get that fresh blanket of snow and then the sun comes out, it can blind you, make it impossible for you to see. Well, the word of God has the opposite effect. It is bright, it's shining, brighter than any snow, brighter than the sun. But instead of blinding us, it enlightens us. It gives us a discerning eye so we can discern truth from error. As a matter of fact, that's what all the Bible is for, is to help us know what God wants us to do. And so we have, as new believers in Christ and as maturing believers in Christ, we have this conflict going on within us. Someone irritates us, so we want to tell them off. But then there's this voice inside saying, no, don't do that. That's not the way of Christ. And so we have the discerning eye so that we follow the way of Christ. No longer are we following the way of the flesh. And what results from that, the psalmist David goes on to say about the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. See, if you follow that inner voice that says, tell them off. Let them know how you feel. That's sin. That's going to bring decay. That's going to bring destruction. It's not going to bring what you're really hoping for. But if you follow that other voice, the Holy Spirit's prompting as it reminds you of truth from God's word to love and to forgive, to hold no grudges against people. That's clean. That brings health and life. And that's what the fear of the Lord does. The respect for God and his ways. And finally, he says, the rules of the Lord are true. And righteous altogether. God's rules are just. They are impeachable. No, unimpeachable, to get that straight. 
There is nothing that is wrong with God's rules. They are right In in a world that we live in where we have unjust judges, unjust lawmakers, we can trust God's word as being true and right. And so based on all this, the psalmist David says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. What is it that people are looking to for their happiness? Isn't it money and pleasure? When we're born into this world, we're born with a taste for what is sweet. And so if you offered a little kid candy or a million dollars, they'll take the candy every single time. But once they get to understand what that money is worth, they will begin to choose the money because they know they can buy a whole lot of candy with that money. And as you get older, you revert to your childhood. We took care of my wife's grandmother for the last six and a half years of her life. And she had Alzheimer's disease, and so she was reverting back to her childhood. And I still remember one time my son brought into her room a plate with some peanut butter toast on it. Now, Grandma loved peanut butter toast. And as he brought in that plate of peanut butter toast, he said to her, Grandma, would you like this peanut butter toast or a million dollars? And Grandma said, what would I do with a million dollars? Give me the toast. (laughs) Friends, what would you do with peanut butter toast or a million dollars if you did not have God's word? What price tag can you put on wisdom and truth? There is no price tag, especially in this world where everything is relative. We have solid truth in God's word. It is worth more to you than all the money in the world, all the pleasures that you can find. And then there are two more benefits. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Not only does God's word prevent you from going down the wrong path, but it gives, gives you a reward. There is a benefit going, for going down the right path. When you go down the wrong, wrong path, what does that bring to your relationships? What does that bring to your health? What does that bring to your life? Nothing but sadness and brokenness and, and, and uh, destruction. But when you follow God, This is not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that David is telling us because this word actually of great reward is speaking of the reward that you get at the end. At the end of a life well lived. Your reward is not anything that you will get on this earth because we have already discounted the pleasures that come from the sweetness of life and and the, the pleasures that can come from money, all the money in the world. No, he is talking about something much greater than that. Your eternal reward that is waiting for you with Christ in the heavenly places. And so, as a result of all this, God speaks loudly and clearly to us in his word so we can respond humbly to him. He says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. He's going to talk about two kinds of sin. Isn't it interesting? As a result of meditating on God's creation, as a result of spending time in God's word, the first place that David goes is to his sin. He feels dirty as a result of spending time with God. And so what does he do for that dirty feeling? He goes to God. 
God is the only place that can give the cleansing that we all so desperately need. And the first kind of sin he talks about is our, our hidden sins. These are sins we don't know about. The longer you walk with Christ, the more you grow in your Christian faith and maturity, the more you realize what a sinner you really are. And sins that you did not realize you were doing before now come to the forefront and you recognize them for what they really are. And the psalmist realizes this. He says, there's a lot about me that's not good. Declare me innocent from these hidden sins. I need forgiveness. And then he tackles the presumptuous sins. What's a presumptuous sin? It's a sin that you know is wrong and you do it anyway. In other words, you don't care or maybe you do care, but you just want to do it. It's interesting that in the Jewish law, there was atonement for every kind of sin except for the presumptuous sin. There was no atonement for the presumptuous sin. Praise God that Jesus' death, his blood, covers all sin, both hidden sins and presumptuous sins. And yet the presumptuous sins are more dangerous because they put us on a slippery slope. You do it once, it's easier to do it the next time. You do it one more time, it's easier to do it the next time. And so David says, I want to be free. I want to be free of hidden sins. I want to be free of presumptuous sins. I want to be free of those sins that have control over me. God, I want you to control my life. And when that happens, the psalmist says, then I shall be blameless. Notice how this blameless is tied to the first sins, the hidden sins, the sins that we don't know about. He wants to be blameless of those and innocent of great transgression, those presumptuous sins that are worse than all kinds of sins because you do them willfully and deliberately. He wants to be declared innocent of those as well. And so he finishes, he wraps it up in this one final prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In other words, the psalmist wants what's on the inside to be the same as what's on the outside. He doesn't want to be a hypocrite. He wants to be consistent. And he realizes that he needs to spend time meditating on the right things. Meditating on God's word. So that when the calamities of life come and, and the hardships of life come, what comes out are the words of Christ. Words of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So friend, you are here today. What now? If you are not, not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I encourage you, observe the world around you. Look at it, listen to it, feel it, touch it, taste it. See how great God is. And then open up his book and discover who you can be in Christ, what Christ has done for you. And repent of your rebellion against him. Maybe you are a, a new follower of Jesus Christ. Once again, for you, the same. Observe the world around you. Touch, touch it, taste it, feel it. See how great God is. And then open up the book. Grow in your knowledge of, of Jesus Christ. And request, in, in other words, come to God in prayer. Ask him to make you into the person that he has created and destined you to be. How about you who have been a follower of Jesus Christ for a long time? You are maturing in your faith. 
once again to observe the world around you. Be reminded of how great God is. And then you have been given a responsibility to share. As you have grown in your faith, now give that back to others. Share what you have been learning. And revere God. Fear him. Notice that it doesn't matter where you are in your journey. We are to observe God's creation. And no matter if you are a new follower of Jesus or a maturing follower of Jesus, discover, grow, share. And then for all of us, we need to constantly be repenting, requesting, and revering God. As you leave today and reflect on Psalm 19, remember, God speaks loudly and clearly to us so we can respond humbly to him. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you have, in your grace, reached out to us when we were rebelling against you. And you, through your creation, speak loudly to us, and through your word, speak clearly to us. May we respond humbly to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.